about discipleship. And I want to talk to you this morning about growing up, growing up. And uh, just to begin with, as we talk about growing up, you know, a few, a few weeks ago, when we first started this, we talked about uh, answering the question, what happened to me? In other words, when I come to God for salvation, what is it that happens when I am saved? And uh, there are a number of things that we spoke of. Your, your sins are forgiven. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and regenerated. You are adopted into God's family. Uh, so we talked about that. We talked about how we are born not uh, into isolation, but we are born into a family. And the family that we are born into is the church, right? And so what we want to understand, though, is um, it's difficult, and I, I'm speaking from, from firsthand experience. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to tell you a sad story or anything, but most of all, all of you know this just from personal experience. It's difficult when you have children that don't grow up. It's, it's a little, it's a challenge, um, Children are intended to learn and grow and develop to the point where they can take care of themselves. They can feed themselves. And, and eventually, according to God's plan and purpose, they are able to, to leave mom and dad's house and go out and make their own way in the world. Provide for themselves and find out God's purpose for them. The same is true of Christians. God's intention is not for Christians to stay babies for their whole life of, of Christian experience. You see, friends, you can come to church, even if you come to church every opportunity that you have, which around here would be Sunday morning, you have Sunday school, Sunday morning worship service, and then Sunday evening service, and Wednesday evening... And the reality is, even if you come every single time you have the opportunity, if that is the only spiritual food you get, you will stay, you will remain a child. You will remain spiritually immature. You will never grow. One of the things we need to understand as we think about growing up as Christians is the power of persistence. There once was a man whose life was characterized by failure. In fact, it's astounding. When you read his life, you read over and over and over again. All the things he tried was just one failure after another. Until he was 21 years of age, his father sent him to work for other people and kept the wages for himself. As an illiterate man, the father saw no importance in his son's education. So this particular man was not educated beyond the eighth grade. Because of this and a number of other reasons, this particular man suffered from inferiority, from his lack of formal education. And uh, actually, I said eighth grade. It wasn't even an eighth grade education. It was just really a partial year, a single partial year of grade school. It was all he had. Other than that, he was self-taught. If you, know who you, do, if you think you know who I'm talking about, raise your hand. Don't spoil it, but if you think you know, raise your hand. Okay, I see one person who thinks they know what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. This man was often confronted by men from aristocratic families 
um, who those men having had the best formal education money could buy while he was self-taught. At the age of 22, he, he had uh, attempted a business venture which failed. At 23, he ran for the legislature but was defeated, so he turned to another business. And the second attempt at business failed when he was 24. At 25, things started to turn around when he was successfully elected to the legislature. But at 26, the one he loved passed away, and he fell into depression and uh, had a nervous breakdown at age 27. In, uh, at the age of 29, he attempted to run for Speaker of the House, I think, the, of state legislature, and was defeated in that attempt. He was defeated at the age of 31 when he ran for, for state elector. Uh, at age 34, he ran for Congress and was defeated in, in that attempt. But then he tried again at, age of, at the age of 37 and was successfully elected to uh, the office of congressman. He ran for Senate at the age of 46 and was defeated in that attempt. In his run for vice president at age 47, he was defeated. He tried again running for Senate at age 49, was defeated again. This man, someone said, was as stubborn as a mule, but not a winning mule. Now do you think you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, more of you. He also suffered from an inferiority complex over his appearance, which was mocked by some as being terribly ugly, and political cartoonists found just wonderful material in this man's physical appearance. Some said that he looked like a gorilla. Others saw him simply as an uneducated and ignorant country bumpkin, way out of his league dealing with national politics shouldn't come as a surprise to us that he suffered from depression throughout his adult life. He was defeated over and over and over again until at the age of 51 he was elected president of the United States and he would become one of the greatest presidents in our country's history. His name is Abraham Lincoln. Went too fast. As president, we know during the U.S. Civil War, Lincoln was often criticized for the incompetence of his military generals, particularly in the early years as battlefield defeats mounted and the death toll was stunning. But then we know Lincoln wrote one of the most famous speeches in history, the Gettysburg Address, as he poured his heart out trying to make sense of everything that was happening during our nation's civil war. You see, Lincoln was haunted by a New Orleans slave auction that he had observed as a young man the impact of which he never got over, and he witnessed the price in blood as black, some of the black soldiers paid the price in the Civil War with their lives in hopes of freeing their families. As president, not only did Lincoln write and issue the Emancipation Proclamation that restricted slavery, but as the Civil War was ending in 1865, he initiated the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which outlawed U.S. slavery forever. What if he had given up when he was in his 20s, when he was trying and trying and trying to start businesses, when he was trying to run for various uh, political offices? What if he had given up? He, he would never, who knows where our country would be 
and the conditions that we would be. You say, you know, we think things are, are bad now, and yes, they are in many respects. There is, is terrible uh, racial division and strife, the likes of which most of us have not seen, well, most of us, um, I have not seen in my lifetime, put it that way, my generation and younger, we don't know this kind of thing. Some of you are old enough to remember the days of segregation and all of that, and you, you remember and you understand, and seeing what's happening now, I'm sure, is hurting your heart. What I'm trying to talk to you about, though, this morning is the power of persistence, the power of simply not giving up. I mentioned to you a week or two ago the fact that I, I enjoy a wonderful uh, heritage uh, of a Christian family, four generations. I'm the fourth generation of Christians on both sides of my family, and what a wonderful privilege that is. <clears throat> However, I mentioned that it can come with some drawbacks, some negatives, and one of those drawbacks, at least in my own personal experience, is, is the high level of expectation that is simply built in. I remember getting to know uh, 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 one of the other students at the Bible college where I attended. He was saved uh, older in life and, and received his call to ministry, I think, sometime in his 40s. So all the rest of us, you know, we were there in our early 20s or so. He was in his mid-40s, first time in Bible college. He had already had a business career, a successful businessman, and now God he's, has called him into ministry. He's starting over. And I remember talking to him about being discouraged with myself and, and my performance as a Christian, just feeling like I was, I, you know, I kept, you know, so many faults and failures and stumbling over my feet and feeling like I'm all thumbs and two left feet and all of this. And I just, I can't successfully be a Christian. I can't live the life. And, and telling him, how many times I'd thought about actually giving up on trying to be a Christian because I couldn't successfully do it. He looked at me like I had two heads. You see, this was a guy who had come out of sin. God had saved him. And he told me, he said, it's never occurred to me to give up. If I, you know, and it's not that he never failed or never stumbled along the way. He said it's just simply the fact that having given his life and his heart to serve God, he said it never, it crossed his mind to give up. He would just go back, pray, ask God to forgive him, and then get up and go on serving the Lord. And I thought, well, duh. But quite honestly, I, I don't know, maybe I'm the strange one, but I don't know, I, I suspect, I don't, I don't suspect, I know there are plenty of other people in, in my position who grew up in the Christian church, especially in holiness churches, where you understand the expectations are high, and, and then you stumble over yourself time and time again. People, the first thing that we can do for ourselves is to put our will into motion to say, I choose to serve God. I will serve God no matter what. And if it means I have to keep on getting up off the ground and dusting myself off and saying, Lord, I'm sorry, 
I don't, that's not what I want. I don't want my life to be characterized by sin. I don't want my life to be characterized by that failure. Would you forgive me and help me to keep going? Help me to be faithful next time. Help me to stand up against the temptations of the devil. Do that. Do that. Commit yourself. Put your will into practice. Well, we haven't even got to the text yet. Let's go there. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, I mentioned that we're born as babies into a family. And if you are a young Christian, if you're a new believer, then friends, your goal, one of your primary goals in following Jesus ought to be to become an old Christian. And I don't mean that in the sense of years But I mean to become a mature believer, a mature Christian. So what does that look like and how do we do it? Well, the first thing I want you to notice this morning is this. Keep your goal high and do not lose hope. Keep your goal high and do not lose hope. Look at verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now that big 12-cylinder word propitiation simply means he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Christ gave himself as the sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God from our sins. He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Keep your goal high and do not lose hope. It's sad that we need to say this, but we really do in the day and age in which we live, that this is a legitimate goal for every Christian that we try, with God's help and power, to live a life without sin. It is a legitimate goal for every believer to say we ought to try with God's help, not I'm not talking about our own ability, what we can do in our own resources, but with God's help to live a life without sin. You see, there, are, there tend to be tr- two prevalent attitudes about sin in, in the world. There's, there's probably more than that, but, but generally two. One group of people would be those that don't think they ever sin. Sinner, I'm not a sinner. You know, I, I pay my bills. I pay my taxes. Um, I, I work and support my family. I'm a good person. It's interesting. The Bible tells us that that is exactly what people will say. All men will proclaim their own goodness, their own righteousness. And you find that very, very commonly in the world today is a lot of people, they don't realize their own sinfulness. 
They have never seen themselves in the light of God's word, in the light of God's law. And the truth is, those people can never be truly saved. Did you know that? None of us can be truly saved, truly born again, until we recognize our own sinfulness in the light of God's word. Before we can really be saved, someone said, before you can be found, you have to know that you're lost. To experience the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, to see yourself in the light of God's word, the way the way. It reflects the sinfulness, the dirtiness of your heart. And too many people in the world uh, don't, simply don't realize their own sinfulness. So I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. I'm a good guy. The second group of people is kind of the exact opposite of this. And we find this very commonly in, in large portions of the, of the evangelical church world. And that is a group of people that say, I always sin. Now, now there are people who are not in the church world who, that's, they, that seems to be what they give their lives to. They're just, you know, they're just pursuing hedonism, the, the, the pleasure of the world as hard and as fast as they can go. And that's, that's what they believe they're on planet Earth for. But then there are the people in the church uh, that say, well, you know, you can't, you cannot live without sinning. You have to sin every day in word, thought, and deed. And there are a number of reasons for the people that take this approach that, that say, well, I always sin. And, and for the people in the church that would say, well, I, I sin every day. And it's just simply a matter of, uh, uh, of sin management. That's what Christianity turns into. It, it, it is a it is a gospel of sin management. We do the best we can, uh, but even though we do the best we can, we're going to sin every day, and so every night before we go to bed, we, we make sure we uh, ask God to forgive us of the sins that we've committed that day, and then we just, we just keep going. Can I tell you kindly, friends, there's a better way to live life. There is a better way to live life. Now, there's, I believe some of that comes because so many do not properly understand a biblical definition of sin. Now, one thing I'm not trying to tell you this morning, I'm not trying to tell you that we ever get to the point where we are past needing the atoning blood of Jesus applied to our hearts and lives. I'm not saying that. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, and continue to fall short of the glory of God. I believe there is a distinction between those two. Falling short of the glory of God. That is a, 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 I'm not talking to you about sinless perfection this morning. I don't believe that any of us will come to that state in this life. But when we understand, we look at, at one of Wesley's definitions for sin was this, that it is a willful transgression against a known law of God. Can you avoid that? Yeah. With God's help, you can. Let me ask it to you this way. Some would say, Pastor, live, live a whole day? 
without sin? Let's just look at it this way. Do you think that for the next 60 seconds, for the next minute, you could live without sin? Meaning, without knowingly violating one of God's laws. Knowingly, intentionally. Do you think you could do it with God's help? I hope so. Sure. All of us for the next 60 seconds. Sure we could. Then it simply becomes, friends, a matter of living moment by moment, relying on the power and the grace of God at work within us to help us be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Some of us focus on ourselves and past failures to the point that we, our, our faith is damaged. And we, we believe, sure, maybe we believe God could do it, but I, we, just, we don't believe that it's possible for me. That used to be where I lived. I, I lived in such a state of, of uh, performance-driven, um, I don't know how to say it, I, I, was a, I was a failing perfectionist. I had the mindset of a failing perfectionist. My, in other words, my standards were really high, but I knew I could never live up to those standards. So that's why at a certain point, in, in my younger days as, as, as trying to live for the Lord, trying to be a Christian, I just said, phooey, I can't do it. I give up. You see, friends, though we will never have flawless perfection in life, and this is not something we can do simply by our own will and, de- and determination, the grace and the power of God within us can enable us to live above sin, that is, Sin, as defined as a willful transaction of a known law of God. You and I can do that. You see, what you expect, you tend to become. Let me say that again. What you expect, you tend to become. By the way, this is only the first point of, I think, about five points so we're not going to get past this this morning. We're, I'm, just, I'm not going to go past this first point. But I believe this first portion is important for us to understand. The first part that we mentioned in the introduction is simply persistence. Simply to say, I am going to give myself to following God, the serving Christ, and I'm not going to give up. If I stumble over myself and fall, I'm going to repent and confess and, and say I'm sorry and get up and I'm going to keep going, keep trying. And then the second part, this really the, the first point, to keep your goal high and don't lose hope. Um, to say it is, re- it is a reasonable expectation. It is a legitimate goal for us as believers to say that with God's help, we can come to the place where the overall tone of our lifestyle and our actions is a life of victory over sin. Let me read to you another place from 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. You know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him 
keeps on sinning. That is, no one who is really a Christian and has been born again continues living a life of habitual sin. There, there may be places in our lives where we stumble over our, uh, our past thought patterns. Some of those things take time to change. And if you have something in your life, if you, have, if you can identify one or two particular areas that you say, Pastor, I, just, I keep stumbling over this. I keep falling into sin in this area. Then ask God to help you figure out why you keep falling into that particular sin. God will help you. This is what the Apostle Paul meant in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when he said, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, this is, and this is not just psycho babble or, or uh, you know, talking from the Bible, but scientifically, your thought patterns make trails in your brain. And you have habituated thought patterns. This is why people with habits like smoking or, or drinking or whatever, take smoking, for example, or even bad language. For, you know, profanity. Something happens, and if you are habitually accustomed to blurting out profanity when your button gets pushed, then you might be a Christian for a while before you completely get rid of that. but it is God's will that you do get rid of it. And God can help you. And it is not an unreasonable goal for you to say, yes, I I want to live my life without sin. Here's a quote from a man, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, something like that, German name. He looks very pleasant. Uh, He said this, If I accept you as you are, I will make you worse. However, if I treat you as though you are what you are capable of becoming, I help you become that. Think about that. You see, we treat ourselves, we should treat ourselves as though we expect to become what we hope to be. We need to learn to doubt our doubts about ourselves. If you're doubtful about this, let me give you a couple more illustrations and then we'll, we'll close. You know how children, and, and sometimes big children too, uh, tend to drop their trash on the floor, candy wrappers and, and such. There was one particular elementary school where students were given individually wrapped pieces of candy, and as you would expect in this particular classroom, most of the candy wrappers ended up on the floor. So what they did, this was intentionally done, over the next two weeks, the teacher frequently commented on how neat and tidy the children were. Complimented them. Oh, you're, you know, such a neat, you know, so tidy, you're doing well. On a visit to the classroom, the, the school principal remarked to the children that their classroom was one of the neatest in the school. And even the custodian, the janitor, left a note on the blackboard telling the children how clean and tidy and neat the children were. 
At the end of the two weeks, the children were again given individually wrapped pieces of candy. And you know what happened that time? Most of the candy wrappers all ended up in the trash can. You see, those children were treated in a manner consistent with the hopes of what they would become. And in that process, they actually became what their teacher, what their leaders were hoping they would be. Yet another experiment was done. Two Head Start teachers, um, you know, like early pre-K children, these two teachers were, they were selected to take part in this, uh, in this experiment. The two teachers were similar in their ability and in their practice. In other words, their, their teaching methods would be along the same lines and the same customs. And they were each given groups of students that were tested and found to be as similar as possible in background and in learning potential. Then the principal spoke to each teacher alone. And the first teacher was told how fortunate she was. Oh, you've got, you, you're going to have a classroom. Your students, they have full of potential. They're, they're ready to soar. Just don't get in their way. Just do, you know, they're, they're, they're going to do great. And the second, though they were given, they were each given students of about the same ability. The second teacher was told, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. You, you know, you can't expect to have uh, top-level students every year. Uh, and uh, we're, we're not going to make the expectations too high for you. Just, you know, you just do the best you can, and uh, it'll, it'll be okay. And at the end of the year, the students were tested again, and the students of the first teacher who were told that she had a, a group of stellar students, they tested significantly higher than the second group, with the only real difference being the teacher's expectations of what they hoped to get out of those children. What you expect, you tend to become. And see, friends, a lot of us as Christians, and I'm talking to really to all of us, because some of us have lived... Uh, some of us have lived in bondage. I, I'm just, just going to be real honest and transparent with what I believe to be the case. Some of us have lived in bondage to the Wesleyan holiness teaching of life lived in victory over sin. I used to live in bondage to that, where I had this performance-oriented mindset that I don't know where, I know it wasn't anything that I was expressly taught, but it was just something that I picked up on the way. I had this image of God as being one who, if I stepped out of line or if I, if I stumbled and fell along the way, that God was, God was just standing over me waiting for an excuse to kick me out of the kingdom. But friends, I've learned that's not the kind of God I serve. That's not the kind of God who loves us. He is a God who is long-suffering and patient and merciful and kind. So, friends, some of us need to get that part of our thinking and our thought process kind of straightened out. But there are others of us, we all need to get this in our minds, to set our goals high. And to understand that it is very much a reasonable, legitimate goal to believe that God can deliver us from willful 
known sin. God can give us victory over sin in our lives. That's not going to mean that we're going to be perfect, that we're never going to... And you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, it sounds like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth at the same time. I, maybe it does. I just, this is important that we understand this. God can give you victory. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. The reason I'm writing to you is this, that you don't sin. And in fact, the, re- the, the passage that I read to you from chapter 3, if we continue on, we read in that same uh, context, that same passage that says Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's the reason the Son of God appeared. In, in what way are the works of the devil most manifest, most visible in our lives, in my life and in your life? Is it not through the sin which people continually fall into over and over again. And people, Jesus came into this world to destroy those works of the devil. And that is God's plan and God's purpose. And you say, well, pastor, I'm still human. And there are still areas of my life that I struggle. Well, friends, that doesn't mean that you lower the standard, that you lower the goal. It simply means that you remember your advocate. John wrote, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. You don't have to sin. God can give you victory over sin. But if you do, if you do, remember you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And friends, that does not mean you are starting over again. That does not mean you're going back to square one. It simply means that you, as God's Spirit, brings conviction to your heart And you look at yourself and you say, oh, I can't believe I did that again. But you go to God relying on his mercy and on his grace. And you say, Jesus, that's not what I want to do. That's not how I want my life to be lived. I don't want that to characterize my life. Would you please forgive me and help me the next time to do better? And you keep living for Jesus and you keep walking with him. And you know what happens with little babies? We've all, most all of us have seen little babies learn how to walk. I've got on my phone, I've still got video of one of my children taking their, I think it was Noah, taking some of his first steps. And he took, you know, three, four little halting steps and just got tired. And he didn't fall, he just kind of slowly just sat down. And Ethan, I think, was about 13, 14 at the time and was trying to help him learn how to walk. And he was enticing him with something and he was encouraging, come on, you can do it. And he picked him back up, stood him back up, and again, two or three more steps. (coughs) And you know, Noah rarely ever falls down these days. I mean, when he's walking normally, he just, he walks around just like it's easy as can be. You see, he didn't give up. He had encouragement. He kept trying. And people, that's God's plan for you as a Christian. That's God's plan for me. You say, oh, pastor, I've, I'm falling down. I'm falling down. Fall down so often. And, and even as we get older and more mature in Christ, there may still be times when we fall down every once in a while. But that doesn't mean you start over again. It doesn't mean you go back to square one. You just get up, dust yourself off, 
Say, Jesus, help me the next time. And then you keep going. Amen. Let's pray.